Bobby thinks he's going. <laughs> and that was fantastic. There is something special about seeing that many kids up on stage and, and the unpredictability. You know, they practice and they practice, but you never know what they're going to do when they get up here. And there's just there's something great about that. So, so here's something you've probably heard before, perhaps even prayed. You've probably prayed this before. And lead us not into temptation. Yeah. So, so we pray that, but what or who leads you into temptation? Or, or do you lead you into temptation what what or who leads you in there perhaps do do you do that yourself interesting to think about isn't it if if you're familiar with with the with the story of Jesus you'll know that on multiple occasions he extended a specific but but a very uh somewhat open invitation it was actually a two-word invitation and it was simply this follow me the invitation was was follow me or or put it another way it was allow me to lead you follow me Now, if someone asks you to follow them, your initial response would be, or at least it should be, follow you where? Yeah, I mean, mean, where are we going to go? But the best we can tell, nobody ever asked Jesus that question. Because following Jesus in the first century really wasn't about where you were going, but more about what folks, about the folks, what he expected them to do who were following him. And, And he was clear about that. Sometimes he was, he was too clear about that. He set the bar so high that in the end, virtually nobody was following Jesus. But, but he never changed his invitation. It was simply, follow me. And then, of course, after the resurrection, some of those who had uh, unfollowed Jesus followed him back because, it's, oh, this guy, this guy really is who he says that he is. Now, whereas Jesus never changed or altered that invitation, his invitation was always, follow me, the church, well, the church eventually did. Which is understandable. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is understandable because follow me has strings attached to it. Follow me, it has, it has to do's and it has to don'ts, right? It requires that we say yes to Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, eventually we're going to have to say no to ourselves. And so the church shifted the invitation. They, they refocused the attention to, instead of follow me, believe in me. Instead of follow me, just, just believe in me, which is much easier which is much less demanding. In fact, it really doesn't demand anything. Just believe. And so no surprise at all that one of the most popular statements in the, in the entire New Testament, probably in the entire Bible, is John 3.16. Whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life, which, which is true. But one of the most unpopular statements in, in the New Testament, and maybe in the entire Bible, something that Jesus actually said was, was this, whoever wants to be my follower, or in our English translation, we, it might say disciple, but it really means follower. Whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves. They eventually say no to themselves. And my hunch is this, is that you've probably never seen a Matthew 16, 24 tattoo. I mean, you don't see a lot of Matthew 16, 24 bumper stickers. I mean, it's just, it's not a real trendy thing. So unfortunately, the message of Jesus was reduced to believe in me. Just, just believe in me. And you know, hey, while you believe in me, just, you know, try to behave. Do the best you can. And, and as long as you do that, you'll be fine. And if you adopt that approach, which a lot of religious people have, you might be fine. But let's not kid ourselves. If you're simply a, fo- a believer, you may not be a follower. 
You'll be a believer and you'll be a consumer, but you won't necessarily be a follower. Jesus won't be your leader. And as we're about to discover, you won't pray grown-up type prayers. So today is, is part three of our series that we've been in for a couple of weeks called Pray Like This. And as we've said every week in this series, you've probably never asked anybody to teach you to pray. If you grew up in the church, maybe your Sunday school teacher or your parents taught you to pray at a little, as a little kid. And you just kind of grew up praying those same types of prayers all through your life. Your prayers as you grew up didn't really grow up with you. And we, we've said this every week, that if someone were to come up to you after hearing you pray and suggest that maybe you needed to learn how to pray, you would be offended by that, and, and, and probably rightly so. You would take offense. But as we've discovered over the last couple of weeks, some of what Jesus has to say about prayer is somewhat offensive because it stands in contrast to, to what we know about prayer and, and to the way that we pray. It's, you know, who we pray to, how we pray, even where we're supposed to pray. Now, like his first century followers, some of us have been praying incorrectly or or to be more specifically we haven't been praying the same way that Jesus prayed the way that he instructed his followers to pray And, and as we've discovered he's very specific about this he began by saying but when you pray and then he tells us how to pray and he tells us how not to pray he says don't be impressed with with uh other people because well God is certainly not impressed don't be uh don't pray to impress people because God's not impressed by that and don't don't just go on and 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 on, you know. Don't do that with about your wants and your needs and all of that because, because your God who is unseen, your heavenly Father, He already knows all of those things. So you don't have to just rattle off your, your want list and your need list. He already knows all of that. Which of course leaves us a bit perplexed because if He already knows that, then, then why pray? Which is the question that Jesus wanted us to ask to begin with. His disciples wanted to know how to pray, and so Jesus wanted them to know why they should pray and why, why we should pray. Why should we pray if God already knows what we need? Well, because according to Jesus, the purpose of prayer is not to inform God of our wish list and our need list. According to Jesus, the purpose of prayer is to align our wills with His will, to, to surrender our will, not to impose our will, which should come as no surprise if we're Jesus' followers. Because we're Jesus' followers, not Jesus' convincers, and not Jesus' users. Now here's something to think about that's a bit disconcerting. And that possibly we don't think too much about. But we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In the Gospels, there's actually an individual who attempted to convince and manipulate and use Jesus. His name was Judas. Judas had an agenda for, Judas, uh, for Jesus. It was Judas's will be done. Not, not thy will be done, but Judas's will be done. And in the end, he failed. And let me just say this for all of us. If that's our approach, if, if God, hey, I want my agenda, my will be done, not your will be done, but my will first, right? Then let me just tell you that you will fail. I will fail. We will fail. And so Jesus said to his disciples, and Judas was there for this. He said to them, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. When, when we pray, we're to pause and acknowledge who we're addressing. This great God who, who has no rival, who has no equal, who is both infinite and intimate. The one who gives meaning to and actually provides context for our lives. And, and as we said last time, if you rush by this, if you rush by who you're praying to, who you're talking to, then you'll be tempted to resist what follows. And what follows, according to Jesus, is why we pray. Here it is. It says, your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done right here, right now in my life. Consumers and users, they never get there. They, they, they never get there. Uh, Judas never got there. The other 11, they barely got there. So, so here's the point Jesus is making. We should pray there. We, we, should, we should pray there. We should stay there until we get there, until we can say with all sincerity, your will be done, not mine. Right now in this life, in, in my life, in the here and now, your will be done. And if I can't say that, I should pray and I should stay there. I shouldn't move on in my prayers. I shouldn't take, you know, pass, go and collect $200. I shouldn't do any of that. I should stay right there until I pray myself into a place of surrender. And then Jesus pivots. He pivots to where we usually begin our prayers. The, the, the give us, give us, give us, the we need this, we want this, that, that, that part. And Jesus gets to that. He says, and give us. And we think, finally, it's our turn, right? And he says, give us today. And as we discovered last week, Jesus wasn't taking prayer requests. He wasn't taking prayer requests. In fact, he was actually giving some prayer requests. He's actually issuing one. And and it drives us right back into this posture of surrender and dependence. He tells us, he says, here's what I want you to pray for. When when it gets time for you to ask, I want you to make sure that you, you ask for provision and pardon and protection. Provision and pardon and protection. Those are the three things that, that I want you to pray for. Provision. Give us today our daily bread. Right? A, a, a reminder of our dependence on God, uh, on our provision for all of the things that we have, for all the needs that we need, and, and for all the wants that we want. God, you be our provider. And pardon. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And this is, this is an ask with a catch, right? Forgive me in the same way and to the same degree that I have forgiven people who have, who have wronged me. Otherwise, I'll be a hypocrite. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, if you ask for forgiveness but you won't forgive, Jesus is saying you're not forgiven. You're still guilty. And we would say guilty of what? To which Jesus would say you're guilty of not forgiving. Which sounds harsh until you consider what happens to people who refuse to forgive. Come on, you know people like this. You know people who have been wronged, who have been hurt. They, they've been uh, mistreated and abused by somebody. And they have refused to forgive. They've just harbored all of that bitterness and that hate and that anger in their lives. And it has festered. And what, what they have become is a miserable person. They're miserable to be around. They don't want to be around themselves most of the time. Come on, forgiveness is good for you. And so your Heavenly Father, here it is, your Heavenly Father wants what's good for you. So he insists that we eat our vegetables and we forgive, right? Provision and pardon. And last but not least, protection. And lead us not. Here it is. Lead us not into temptation. Protect us from temptation. And, and I know Jesus, when he's saying this, he's, he's, he uses the word us. He's, he's talking corporately to his disciples. But I want us to personalize this for just a moment. I want you to think about it in these terms. And lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. And here's the question, and I know this is hard. Do you pray that? Do, do you pray that? Do you ask for this? I mean, because we, we pray for a lot of things. We ask for parking spots. I mean, we pray for our, our favorite sports team to win. We pray for good grades. But, but what about this? Do, do we pray for this? Can, can you pray that with a clear conscience? I mean, come on. You can't be planning to, to give into temptation. You can't be planning to lead yourself into temptation and then pray not to be led there, right? I mean, well, I, I guess you could, but it would make you, let's just all say it together, it would make you a, yeah, hypocrite. Come on, y'all aren't with me today. Y'all going to, like, I, I know it's the projectors aren't on, but come on, y'all. Come on, here we are. Here, here's a fun fact. Jesus was actually led into temptation. 
He was actually led into temptation. So he knew what he was talking about. He had been there. He'd done that. He was familiar with what that would be like. And maybe you're familiar with this passage in Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews, he reminds us of how intense Jesus' temptation was. He said, for we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus here, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted. And we miss this. He says, we've been tempted in every single way, in every way, just as we are. And yet, he did not sin. That's amazing to think about. That's amazing to think about that Jesus was tempted in every way. Literally, he was tempted in all things, not just the three things that are recorded in the Gospels for us, but he was tempted in every way. And in light of that, in light of that, the author of Hebrews, he says, here's the promise. In light of that, that fact, here, here, your Savior, a high priest who's been tempted in every way, has been tempted just like you and I have been. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, in our time of temptation. But that brings us back to this. Do you want mercy and grace in your time of need? Do you actually want to be delivered from temptation or, or do we play the well and we're all guilty of this do we play the I'll sin now and ask forgiveness later game you know the sin now ask forgiveness later game if you're familiar with it you don't have to raise your hand but I know we all are right you, you know how that works it's like you're just tempted and, and you're like well I'm just going to go ahead and sin and because hey I can get forgiveness later and let me just tell you this about that idea that is an insidious religious game that assumes the absolute worst about your heavenly father It's a game that assumes God is so inept that he is so gullible that he is so in the box. It's a game that assumes that God can be used and manipulated. It just reduces God to a cleaning product. It reduces prayer to a a conscience cleanse. And just so you know, that God does not exist. I mean, there's nothing, come on, there's nothing hallowed about a God who is so easily manipulated. That God is not worth worth surrendering to. That God is not worth singing to. That God is certainly not worth praying to. There is nothing good about that God. That God is an imaginary God that is a figment of our religious imaginations created honestly just so that we would feel better about ourselves and better about our sin. Our sin that eventually leads us to regret. And come on, let's be honest for a moment. When you find yourself grappling with the consequences of and and, and regret of sin now, ask forgiveness later. Sin now, ask forgiveness later. When When you're on the other side of that and you're facing the consequences of sin, what do you do? You pray, don't you? To whom? We pray to the same God who was so senile that he winked at our sin and he just forgot about it? Come on, what kind of faith system is that? Fortunately, And this is actually really good news. Fortunately, that God does not exist. That is not your Father in heaven. But you do have a Father in heaven who loves you, who sent His Son son to die for you, to die for your foolishness and my foolishness and for our blatant disregard for wisdom and truth and just sometimes common sense. God doesn't wink at our sin. It cost him way too much for that. So Jesus says, when you pray, here's what I want you to pray. When you pray, I want you to pray. And do not lead us or do not lead me into temptation, but please deliver me. Deliver us from evil. And what do you know? We find ourselves right back at surrender. And here's why I say that. I mean, because you can't be playing in evil and pray to be delivered from it. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but again, that makes you, well, we covered that part. So, so this term deliver, it's a, it's a really interesting term. It, it literally means to rescue one from danger or to preserve. And, and, and here's the thing. The reason we lead ourselves into temptation is because we're convinced, 
Well, we're convinced that it's just not that dangerous. We lead ourselves into temptation and then we ask God to deliver us from our own evil. Or worse, we, we lead ourselves into temptation and then we turn around and we blame God for evil. And so I want to ask you this and I just want you to think about this for a moment. Just kind of sit with this. What leads? What leads or, or who leads? Or, or why do you lead yourself into temptation? What leads you? Who leads you? Or do you lead yourself into temptation? Do you lead yourself to the threshold of regret over and over and over again? And, and oftentimes it's that same regret because it's that same temptation. And, I mean, there's the usual suspects, right? But, but usually there's something beneath the surface of the usual suspects that, that fuels our temptation. So who leads you into temptation? And why are you so prone to lead yourself there? I think behind the usual suspects there are things like fear and isolation and fear of isolation, and insecurity, and anger, and resentment, and jealousy, and greed, and false assumptions about people, and, and lies we believe, and loneliness, and revenge. Th- those are the things that I think lead us into temptation. And all of those things along with, the, with what I guess we could call them the A-list temptations, the things that people talk about all the time, all of those things can actually be summarized into two headings, into two groups, protection and gratification. Protection and gratification. Think about this. When we take our lead, when those become our leaders, those two things, when we, we take our lead from those two rogues, what happens? Our lives center on who? Well, they center on ourselves. When we take our lead from those two appetites, somebody eventually gets hurt. Actually, two somebodies uh, get hurt. Somebody that you care for and eventually yourself. Protection and gratification. And I don't want to be misunderstood about this. Protection and gratification are important. In fact, they're necessary. But they are poor leaders. They, they are not good leaders. You, if you follow them, they will lead you into temptation and they will leave you there. They will lead you into temptation and they will not lift a finger to deliver you from anything, especially evil. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know about that. I mean, you've got the t-shirts, you've got the memories, the scars, the wounds, right? You, you've been there, you've done that. Self-protection and self-gratification, they lead us in circles, and those two things, self-protection and self-gratification, it's all about me. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you, if you take your lead from self-protection and gratification, it leads you to temptation. Pursuing self-protection and self-gratification, eventually you will find yourself asking the same question that every philosopher, every poet, every songwriter eventually asked and, and can never really seem to answer. And the question is this, why am I here? Why am I here? If you pursue self-protection and self-gratification, you will eventually ask that question. Why am I here? What, what's my purpose? And you know what this is. This is, this is self-protection, self-gratification, self, the self-fulfillment question. And here's why I say that, because to tease this out a little bit, what are we really asking? We're saying, I want to know why I'm here so I know why I'm here, right? But the better question, the Jesus question, the, the thy kingdom come question is this, is who am I here for? Not why am I here, but who am I here for? Ask that question. Ask that question and the world opens up to you. And this is so important. Fulfillment and purpose, meaning those things are always found across the border from what's in it for me. If you want to know what your purpose is and you want to have meaning, then you've got to get away from this what am I here for stuff. They're always found across the border from the what's in it for me. Judas had to learn that the hard way. Think about this. Think about it. Meaning. Everybody says they want to have a meaningful life, right? Well, meaning requires that we become a means to an end. That's literally what meaning means. 
It, it requires that we become a means to an end other than ourselves. Me, meaning and purpose, they require us to say no to us so that we can say yes to something bigger. And so Jesus says, follow me, but be warned because even the Son of Man didn't come to, to serve or to be served, but to serve. And that's okay because that's where life is found. You've seen this, you know this. You've seen what happens to people who are consumed by, by who, who chase after protection and gratification. What happens to them? They, they, they become small and unpleasant and bitter, which shouldn't surprise us. Because if you live for yourself, you'll only have yourself to show for yourself in the end. Think about that. If you live just for you at the end of your life, when it comes to the end, you will only have yourself to show for that. And chances are, by the time you get there, you won't even like yourself. When people say there, there's got to be more to life than this, you've heard people say that. There's got to be more to life. Do you know what they're really saying? They're saying there has to be more to life than me. There's got to be more to life than just me. And you know what? They're right. And when we embrace a thy kingdom come, thy will be done, a way of life, we, we will live for more than ourselves. We'll have more than ourselves to show for ourselves. And that was Jesus' invitation. His invitation is to invite us to follow a better Lord, a better leader. He invites us to follow Him. Following Jesus, don't miss this, following Jesus requires that we surrender. So embracing surrender is actually the alternative to being led into temptation. Embracing surrender is the alternative to being led into temptation. And there's a, and, and there's a path that delivers you from evil. But, it, but it's not just discipline, though it requires discipline. And it's not just about self-control, although it requires self-control. The, the path that leads you away from temptation is saying yes to Jesus' original invitation of follow me. Not just believe in me. Not just come to church and sing songs about me and, and feel good about yourself at the end of the day. You know, I got my checkbox, I, I got my gold star for the day. But actually, follow me. And again, that's his invitation. It's been his invitation from the very beginning. And Christianity that has been reduced to, to just believing things is a counterfeit Christianity. And I know that's hard to hear. But, but a faith, a faith that doesn't do things, a faith that doesn't accomplish things, a faith that doesn't change things or improve things is a worthless faith. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he was clear about this. He said that an inactive faith is, and this is his word, useless. A faith that doesn't do anybody any good isn't any good. And Jesus was clear about this as well. He said, anyone, anyone who would hear these words of mine and does not put them into a notebook, right? No, that's not what he says, does it? He says, anybody that would hear these words of mine and does not put them into practice, anybody that hears these words of mine and is simply content to, to tuck them away in a notebook, anybody who hears these words of mine and they don't act on them, you remember this. He said, it's like a person who builds their, builds their lives on the sand. And then the tide comes in, and guess what? When the tide comes in, it's too late to pray. You're past the point of praying at that point. And so he says, he says to all of us, follow me right here, right now, on earth, not just in heaven, but on earth as well. And yes, following Jesus requires surrender, but here's, it comes with a promise. And here's the promise, is that Jesus will not lead us into temptation. If we will surrender to him, he will not lead us into temptation. He, he will not leave us chasing the wind or chasing our tails because he loves us. 
So he says, I will lead you to look beyond you. I will lead you to do for others what I have done for you because, because that's where life is truly found. That's where life begins. Don't be content to just be a believer, just to believe in something. Everybody believes in something. If, if you don't believe that, well, you're wrong. Everybody believes in something. He says, be a follower. And here's something that's so profound. In fact, Jesus never gets enough credit for this. How remarkable this is. But think about this. How remarkable that our first century Savior, our first century, thousands of years ago, reduced all of life to one transgenerational, relevant, unchangeable command that has the potential to change everything in spite of how things are and in spite of how things change. He gave us one command that has the potential to change everything. And here, well, here it is. He says, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's what following Jesus looks like. That's what following Jesus behaves like. This is what following Jesus requires. And now, now think about this. Once upon a time, once upon a time, an illiterate, geocentric, uh, there was a group of, of Jesus followers who had, well, they had little else to go on. And their views of most everything were absolutely wrong. But they knew what love required of them. They knew what love required of them, and apparently that was enough. And it's still enough. That's where following Jesus will take us. Not heaven someday. I hope I get there one day. But, not, but, but love today. Love that positions us to be a means to an end that, that is not us. That, and that's good, right? We want to be, be a part of that, right? We want to be a part of something that's bigger than just ourselves. And the good news is that if we will follow Jesus, he will not lead us into temptation but the opposite of temptation, which is heaven. The opposite of temptation, which is really, um, you know, the opposite of temptation, which is really all about me and to, to the neglect and perhaps even mistreatment of you. The opposite of temptation is love. So one more time, let me just ask, can you pray that? Can you pray sincerely with a clear conscience without being a hypocrite? Can you pray and lead me not into temptation? But deliver me from evil. Lead me. Lead me. There's an assumption there. The assumption is that you have decided to follow Jesus. The assumption is that you have surrendered. That you've actually surrendered your will. Have you? Have you? Can, can you pray that? Can you pray the way that Jesus instructed us to pray? Does that, does that create some tension for you? And, and if it does, pay attention to that tension. Because here's why. It's, it's right there in that tension that where, where God is at work in you. God always works in the tension that is in our lives. And so if there's a tension for you that, hey, I don't know that I can pray that yet, pay attention to that. Keep praying there. Pray your way there. Before you decide that the bar's too high, before you decide, before you push back and, and you decide the price is just too high to pay, pay attention to that. Because let's be honest. What do you have? What do you have to show for all of your temptation that you've allowed yourself to be led into? At the end of the day, just think about what it is that tempts you. What do you have to show for that? What have you gained as a result of that? Well, typically nothing. You probably have gained nothing except hurt and heartache. Because temptation usually leads us to loss. It results in a lack of something. It, re it results in a decrease, a lack of financial security, a, a decreased ability to, to be generous, a, a lack of trust between you and your spouse, a lack of trust between you and your parents or you and your kids, perhaps your friends. It's an erosion of joy, decreased transparency. You, you're lit, led into temptation all the time, so you've got to be secretive and you've got to hide things. 
The erosion of, of physical and perhaps mental health, which imposes a greater burden on people that you say you care for the most. Give in to temptation, and you will have limited options. You will have less freedom, and you will have more regret. Temptation, you, you know this. Temptation is actually the threshold to loss. But choosing to follow Jesus is the threshold to life. Temptation is the threshold to life, but Jesus to, to loss, but Jesus is the threshold to life because it's an invitation to put others first. It's an invitation to love. It's an invitation to spend less time in the mirror, less time looking inward, and more time looking around and up. Heavenly Father, lead me, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from every evil thing. Deliver me from anything that directly or indirectly dishonors and demeans or hurts you or another person. I mean, that should be what we're praying, right? That should be the way, not just what we're praying, but that should be the way that we're living. And so as we wrap up, I want to put the, the Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer, back together. And then I just want to give us a simple reminder about all of this. But before I do, do that, I want to make sure that I don't leave you with the wrong impression about one thing, and that's this, and it's, it's really important. Is that Jesus' prayer is a, is a pattern, or it's a template uh, for prayer. It's not a formula, okay? It's certainly not magic. It just simply represents the posture and the perspective that we're to adopt when we pray. It underscores the purpose of prayer. Again, which is to get our hearts in tune with the heart of our Heavenly Father. It's to align our will with His will. Again, prayer is not so much about receiving as it is resyncing and, and realigning and rehearsing and remembering who God is and, and who we are in relation to Him. Prayer, prayer the way that Jesus said to her, pray, it's really it's a call to surrender. It's a call to surrender our lives. It's, it's thy will be done. And essentially it's an opportunity to recommit to the fact that we are following Jesus. That we are saying yes even before we know what He's asked. Can we pray for for other things when we pray, other people? Absolutely. Sure we can. As, as I said a couple of weeks ago, Peter, he encourages us to, to bear our souls when we pray. He says to cast all of our cares on, on him. And in fact, next time as we wrap up this series, I'm going to suggest that you ask for something, that you specifically ask for something that Jesus doesn't specifically mention here, but, it, but it's certainly implied. But all of those requests, all of those things that are near and dear to you, your, your deepest burden, your biggest heartbreak, the, the, the thing that is so top of your mind that you can't think about anything else, all of those are to be laid at the feet of your Heavenly Father. After, after, after we've acknowledged His right to rule, after we have surrendered to His Lordship, after we have decided that yes, we will follow. So let's put it all back together. Jesus says this. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our, of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's how the prayer ends. This then is how we should pray. Address God. When you pray, address God as Father. Declare His greatness. Hallowed be your name. Surrender your will. Thy kingdom come. Acknowledge your dependence upon Him for your provision and your pardon and your protection. Begin by addressing God as Father. Declare His greatness. Surrender your will and acknowledge your dependence on Him for provision, pardon, and protection. And here's the amazing thing that when you do that, when, when you do according to Jesus, your unseen Father, 
your unseen father will see what is done in secret and he will reward what is prayed in private. This then is how we should pray. We pray from a posture of surrender. We pray our way to surrender. We pray until we're surrendered because it's only when we're surrendered that we are truly Jesus followers. So I'd love to pray for all of us right now.